This is our second week in this passage, verses 3 through 25, days 1 through the first part of day 6 of creation. And this week, as, as we focus on order last week, God ordering the world, God giving us a structure that we are invited to learn the meaning of and step into, the focus here is on process. And uh, we'll see it's process and maybe... Uh, We'll call it story as well. That God does things over time. And that for us is often unfortunate because we we don't really like to wait, right? This is a continual problem. We find even in scripture, there's this recognition of a calling for patience with some regularity. But we we don't like the process of learning new things. We just like to know, right? Uh, my, My daughter is getting married in June and we've talked about, you know, doing... Uh, uh, the father-daughter dance, and um, I, I don't really know how to dance well, right? Uh, particularly people are watching, and so there would be a process to learn something there. I'd rather just know it, right? Just get the downloads. I think of the, the Matrix and the movie The Matrix where uh, Neo, he, he learns things by having uh, cartridges put into a computer and just downloaded into his brain. So it just shows him in a few seconds, and all of a sudden he knows... Uh, jiu-jitsu and kung fu and all of the martial arts, right? And we're like, yeah, that's, I'd like that, right? Or even if we recognize, okay, some level of work needs to go into it, I, I thought maybe a little bit longer process. I think of the, uh, the workout montages in all of the Rocky movies. I looked this up. You can actually see Rocky's one to four and then Rocky Balboa, five doesn't really count, so it's not in there. The workout montages... And it's him working really hard, and it's over a period of time, right? But you can watch all of those in 20 minutes. And and, and yet it represents, you know, hours a day, many days, uh, a week, uh, many months, many years that he would get in that kind of shape, right? We don't really want to have to do all that. Like the the five-minute montage in the movie is is enough for us. Uh, And we wish that we could do that, right? But that's not the way... That life works, and so we, we wish that it were different. And I think what we find here, I hope, is an encouragement that the process, that things taking time, is actually a good and beautiful and right thing, even when it is difficult. So we're going to say that this process is slow, so the struggle we have with waiting, right? But that it is good and beautiful. It is slow, it is good, it is beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the work that you are doing, the story that you are working from the beginning of creation until you return, that we are in the middle of and that you invite us to be a part of. Draw us into that story, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's slow. It's a slow process. And it's helpful to remember because we need to be reminded again and again that these first two chapters of the Bible are before the fall. So a very small portion of the scripture occurs before sin, rebellion enters into the world. The mess enters into the world. But we live in a world that is full of that. So it's hard to imagine before. But here we are before the fall, before the mess, the rebellion and the sin. And we find that God works through process. He could have created the world. We've already talked about the incredible power he has. So that he's able to just speak the world into being. He speaks, and it is. He doesn't need any mediation. He doesn't need people working for him. He doesn't need other material. He just makes it appear. That he created time itself. So as we're talking about process, 
In the beginning, he creates time itself. So all of existence, he is able to speak into being. And as a result of the power that we've already seen, he is completely capable of snapping his fingers or saying, let it be, and it all being as he wanted it to be. But that's not what he does. He takes time. We find this, this recitation of the days of creation drawing us into the process, into the story. And even... As we have talked, we talked briefly, we sent out a video over uh, the week that talks about the different ways to understand the days of creation. Even at the most chronologically conservative view, God takes six calendar days, six 24-hour days to do this process of creation. At the very short end, it's not just that snapping his fingers. He gives us a picture of this process. It is purposeful, step by step, as we talked about him ordering the world Uh, last week, he takes time to do it. And he's communicating something in that process, in that time, that that even he is valuing the process itself. This is the way that he has chosen to work in the world in such a way that he creates the world. He starts with taking time. He starts with process. And and creation is, is just the beginning. What I mean by that is Of course, we're talking about the beginning here, but it is the beginning of more process. So it's not just he's taking time with creation and then it's all good and done. No, he is setting the world up to enter into a process that will be ongoing to time moving forward so that we see him him creating vegetation where the seeds will be uh, created. And, And we know how seeds work. Seeds are planted and then they grow. If you've gardened it all, or if you have any awareness of gardening, and, and many of us do, right? Just We know how it works, we studied it. It takes time to, to grow food. This, this call to be fruitful and multiply in verse 22, we, we see that there is this, this ongoing uh, expectation that things are going to continue to happen and that creation is going to grow into more fruitfulness. It will multiply into to more, Right? And we talked about this a number of weeks ago when we looked at the very end of the Bible, Revelation, when Jesus returns and all things are made right, we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, new heavens, the new earth. And it's not just a return to the garden. It's it's a beautiful and perfect, perfected city, which is arguably and, and clearly there's an end to creation in mind. The world is created. God is creating the world to head in a particular direction not just to stay in the garden, there's a picture that it would have inevitably, even without the fall, moved toward a city. The city would have been perfected. That was, would be the result of more growing and more seeds and more planting and more being fruitful and multiplying both of animals and human beings. We'll get to that uh, to come, that, that there's also a call for humans to be fruitful and to multiply. So there is this this picture of more structure, of more order, of, of more growth that's going to happen by creation itself. That's going to be a part of that. Now, we find that entered into that now, post-fall, is not just the building and structure and growth, but it's, it's redeeming and fixing and mending. But there's something just structurally beautiful and good and right about process being there even without the fall. And so we find that we're invited into this slowness that God works. We see it as well with this repetition of the, there was evening and there was morning the first day, 
the second day, and the third day. There's, there's rest. We haven't even gotten to the Sabbath, and we're actually about a month out in our sermon series because we're going to spend three weeks in the end of uh, day six, chapter one, verses 26 through 31. We're going to spend three weeks there on the creation of human beings. But then we'll get to the Sabbath, day seven, right? But even before we get to the Sabbath, we see that there is daily rest, evening and morning, each and every day. That there is this recognition that we are invited into a structure, into a world of existence where we rely on somebody else's timing. We're, we're a part of somebody else's world. We can't just keep going all the time. As much as we would like to and think that there's so much to do and if we had more hours in the day, and, but we just, we have to rest. And we don't even fully understand rest. Doctors don't understand rest. If you've struggled with insomnia and you've sought out answers, it's really hard to find answers, even on why we necessarily even need it. We know we need it. Without it, you know, it's, sleep deprivation is torture. It's actually technically torture to cause that on somebody, right? So we, we need rest. We're invited into this reality where we have to just step back. And we have to rely on uh, the fact that we're not in control, that we have to move slowly. It's part of our limitedness, our creatureliness, the fact that we're, as creatures, have limits. And that's not necessarily uh, a bad thing even if we try to change it or make it different. I, I, I can't remember if I have uh, talked about this video before, but there was a video by a YouTuber. I guess he's an influencer somehow. Um, and he has this video talking about the way that he spends his time. And he says, I have compressed and condensed time. I've bent it. My day is 6 a.m. to noon and I'm not crazy. You're crazy for thinking it takes 24 hours just like some dude in a cave did 300 years ago. So he's having a problem with time. <laughs> Cavemen, not 300 years ago. But he uh, says, my second day starts at noon and it goes till 6 p.m. That's day two. And then the next day is 6 p.m. to midnight. What I've done now is I've changed and manipulated time. No, you haven't. And now <laughs> I now get 21 days a week. Stack that up over a month. And uh, you're in trouble, stack that up over a year, and you're toast, stack it up over five years, and my entire life is different than it would have been otherwise. It's, it's crazy, right? This is not the way that time works. There was a, I first saw this, and there was a follow-up video, and this guy says, well, my day also starts at 6 a.m., but by 7 a.m., I've had my first day. By 8 a.m., that's two days. By noon, I've had six days. By one, I've had a whole week. So by the time you finish lunch after your first day, I've already had one week. Stack that up over a week, and just like a caveman, that's compounding. By the end of a week, you're toast. By the end of the month, you're a muffin. By a month, I'm so far ahead because I've been stacking up imaginary days you're never going to catch up. I mean, it's, it's, it, he's, he's hitting at the absurdity of the fact that we think that we can change and manipulate time. We cannot. We are limited creatures, a part of God's good creation, invited into the fact that he works in time and there's a process to it. And we wish that there weren't. We wish that we could change and manipulate time. We wish that we could just get to the result, that we could download the result, that we could certainly get past the brokenness, those things particularly that need to be redeemed or mended or fixed. And yet we're invited into this slow process and we're forced to wait. 
But the picture here is that this is actually good. That God taking time is good. It may not be efficient, but it's good. Efficiency is not God's highest priority. It's actually love. And love is often not efficient. But this is good, this purposeful step-by-step. And the statement at every moment, each day, it was good. He saw that it was good. And he's speaking not only to what he created, but to the process that he went to by implication that it it itself was good too. Not only what he created, but the way in which he created it as the maker of all things, as the one who has power and control over all things, that, that it was good and his process is good, even if not efficient or as efficient as we would like it to be. And we're invited to see that even with this elevated prose. The, we, we, we do find this, that's what a lot of theologians call this, uh, this particular passage somewhere between prose and poetry. It's elevated prose. It has poetic aspects, but it's communicating something that actually happened. It's beautiful. And it invites us in to the goodness of God's working. Our imaginations are engaged as we think about him creating all the world for a particular process and toward a, a particular end. That, that the order that we talked about last week has this process and it's ongoing. And there's something really good about that so that we can expect when a day ends and when the next day will start. We can expect to some degree the, the seasons and the way that they'll come. We can expect, I mean, it's some of the really goodness of it. We can, we can think about that apparently like 800 years ago since the last total solar eclipse was seen uh, in Indianapolis. Well, on April 8th, many of you know, we'll be able to see another one. And we've known for years, this is how the process is ordered. For years, we could look forward to on that day for like three minutes and 50 something seconds, the the sun will be blocked by the moon. It's part of God's order, but also the process, right? So that we are looking forward to it and that we knew years ahead of time that it would come. It's remarkable and good the, the way that God has created this world, which sustains our lives. He is the maker and he invites us into it. That way in which he works is good for you and for me. And it doesn't mean that we don't strive to fix and mend the things that are broken to step into the process, but we recognize that those things are going to take time. Sanctification, that, that work of God's grace in our lives where he makes us more and more like Jesus, that that takes time. We want it to be like that. More, more significantly, or maybe more on top of mind, is we want that to be the case for other people, people around us, right? We wish their sanctification would happen very quickly. It's just not the way that God works. But what he's telling us is that there's something good here. And we know that fundamentally that the process and growth and it happening over time and often slowly is a good thing. We think about our kids and their growth, right? If, if your child started walking on day two, you would probably be terrified. <laughs> you would recognize there's something maybe off here, right? Or, or imagine when your child does start to walk uh, around one or give or take, whatever it might be, and they take their first few steps and they fall down. You, you know, that's a part of the process. So you don't say, what, what are you doing? Get up. Obviously, you can walk. What's the problem? Just keep going. It, don't do that. 
I hope you don't do that, right? You, you, you understand that, that growth is, is natural and there's a goodness to it. And not just for kids either, for, for adults. And this is where we, we struggle to think. We think, okay, now I'm grown. Now things should be like they're supposed to be. I, I remember very clearly, many of you know our story, that for over a year before we got here, we lived in Memphis and we were what we, we talk about uh, in our pastor circles is being without call. You have a call. I have a call to be the pastor here. And so I was almost two years without call. And we were trying to figure out what's next. And we had to move from Denver to Memphis. And we lived with my family. And I'm 37. And I've got three kids. And we're at home with my family, which is exactly where you want to be. It's not. And, uh, and we talked about it as looking for what was next. And there was some aspect of that that was absolutely true. We were looking for what was next. And we're very thankful that this was what was next and that we've been here for almost 11 years now. But in that time, we, early on, we went to dinner with a family friend. And, uh, this family had supported us over the years as we'd raised support. And we're talking about being here and looking for what was next, waiting to see what God had for us. And there's something right about that, but I remember very clearly her saying, this is what God has for you. And it shaped and changed the way that we thought about that time in Memphis. And there were really good and beautiful things about even living with family. And God had that for us. And there were things that were hard. And God had that for us. And it was good. We're invited to, in the midst of our mess right now, recognize that we're in the midst of the process and that it can be good. And that again, that God's good work, which is ultimately always we talk about this, the story of Scripture being God wanting relationship with his people, that relationship and ultimately loving relationship is God's highest priority, not the efficiency of it. And we live in a culture that highly prizes efficiency. And uh, we're reminded and invited to, to slow it down a bit and to see the goodness of slowness, of process. How, how might we even just step into that? I mean, I think about that idea of just wanting to have information and skills downloaded. I think about engaging God in relationship. It takes time. Building any relationship takes time. And so slowing down and, and reading scripture, the invitation to, to read and meditate and pray, those things take time. It's not like, even if you think, okay, I am in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to engage God. Uh, and so for the next, you know, 30 minutes, I'm going to do it. And then, uh, expect like, it, you know, it, it takes time. Relationships don't work in that way. We, we engage just a little bit at a time and over days and weeks and years we're shaped. And so there's invitation to, to read, to pray, to meditate. And we do this with the Lord, certainly, as, as we're here at church and think about following him. But we do that together. And relationships take time and being with one another can be inefficient. And the encouragement is to be with one another in person, but not the frenetic pace of social media where it's got to reply here and like here. That, that, that's not, it's actually often detrimental to relationship and the slowness and the process that God works. Because this process that is slow, slower than we wish it were, is good, but it's more than just good. I think if we dive down deeper, it's, it's beautiful. And he says, so I'm being incredibly scriptural to say point number two, it's good. 
Because he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He doesn't say that it's beautiful, but I think it's there by implication. Just the beauty, as we talked about, of the elevated prose, displaying God's process of creation. But the, all of the things that he creates that maybe aren't efficient, they are beautiful. I hope your imagination was engaged as you heard April read, read and you began to think about those things that were actually being created. There's something, and I encourage you, it's not efficient, but go home today and read through this passage again. Go slowly and allow your imagination to be engaged in what it might have even looked like at the time. And that is just our imagination. But that's right and good. I think about the way that I was drawn into it reading in The Magician's Nephew, one of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis is Aslan sings Narnia into being. It's, it's a reflection of what God is doing here to be invited into that, that beauty. Not always efficient. Kelly Capick in his book, You're Only Human, uh, says that someone shaped by the modern industrial mindset might negatively assess God as indulgent, wasteful, and excessive. Why the extravagance of a peacock's feathers, the careful complexity of the orchid, the multi-layered nature of the human voice, or the trend? Skip that one. Sure, we can offer explanations for each of these, but it was really necessary to have, was it really necessary to have so many colors, so much diversity, so much depth, so much wonder? Why? Because God is not driven by efficiency alone. He's driven by love and relationship. We, we know this when we think about story and the process that a story takes. We want the whole story. We don't just want the end. We don't want the spoiler, right? Just a, a few weeks ago, one of our children came in and turned to adult and said, what movie is he going to spoil today? <laughs> Talking about me and my illustrations. Uh, hopefully, I don't actually spoil too many movies. I mean, I, I do sometimes put a, a limit on it. Yeah, it's been a few decades. I might, I might spoil something. But... Uh, but she's getting at that reality that none of us want a movie or a book or a story spoiled. We want to experience the whole thing. You, you, you don't want uh, to not, if you care about uh, football at all, you don't want to have the game recorded and then somebody tell you who wins and then go watch it. You, you want the experience of, of watching and seeing how it, it plays out. Sports are one of those few things that I, I want to watch live if I can, right? Because I want to be engaged in the story. I don't want it spoiled. And it's because we, we know that there's something beautiful about the story. And all kinds of stories. That it, there's something good and right. And here we find ourselves at the beginning of the story of existence. Of the world in which we live. Which we're invited to discover the meaning of God's order and the way in which he has made things. Because, as we mention regularly, that story is one about relationship with his people. And we see that relationship playing out in the next few chapters. We see the relationship being broken. We see God in the Old Testament beginning, actually. We'll, we'll see when we get to the fall in chapter 3 that even beginning there, the promise of God redeeming that broken relationship. We see him providing ways through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament to to give people relationship with him. And then we see Jesus himself entering into the story, recognizing that we have turned against him and from, turned from the goodness of, of God's creation in our rebellion. 
And Jesus enters into that story, into the, the creation that, that he made. He enters into it. He becomes a part of it. We've talked about the, the value that, that puts on this creation, but he becomes a man. He becomes a child, actually. And we see that there is growth and a slowness to what Jesus does. 30 years before his ministry even begins. Three years of ministry. And in the scope of history, that's short, but like, for us, that's a long time. We, we want answers now. We, you know, we expect next day delivery, if not same day delivery. We expect to be able to get the information on our phone right away. The idea of the Savior coming and growing up as a child and going through all the growth process of a child is like hard to imagine. We think, you know, we can imagine, uh, not in a crazy way, that Mary and Joseph might you know, mark his, it might, he's probably likely a stone carpenter, so they're chiseling in his growth on the doorframe, right? Here's where he was on this day, and here he's, he's, he grows, and he experiences all, all of it, right? And, uh, and it's slow. We see this particularly in Luke chapter 2, but in other places as well, his growth in knowledge and relationship and understanding, and uh, we, there's a physical growth as well. And, and it's not efficient, and, and yet it's for you and for me who tend to rebel against his order, rebel against his process and be impatient, not wanting to wait on the way that God does things, wanting to do things our own way. And to be clear, we're all a part of the problem. We all have trouble waiting. We all contribute to the, to the things that need to be redeemed, fixed and mended. And we're also invited to be a part of that redemption and fixing and mending knowing that ultimately it is rooted in who he is and what he has done and the process that he is continuing to work, that this this salvation that he's invited us into is a process. And we talk about the fact that salvation has past implications, that we have been saved, that we present implications, we are being saved, and future implications that we will be saved. It's all a part of this process that we're invited into, this story, this beautiful story that invites us into the inefficiency of his love. But it's beautiful. And so we're about to come and celebrate the the Lord's Supper to eat the bread and and drink the wine. And it takes time to walk down uh, to the front and to eat the bread and drink the wine and all of this. But it's it's a part of the process of, of being a part of his creation and being a part of relationship with him. Coming on Sunday mornings to worship, it's inefficient, right? Going to community group and engaging in a relationship, it's inefficient, but it's a part of a beautiful story that we're invited into. And we're able to because of the work that Jesus has done for us and the work that Jesus continues to work in us and that he promises that one day will be completely fulfilled when that beautiful and right city reaches its end and we're a part of it. Let's pray.